We would love to have uh, all you guys interject what your thoughts are. We're wrapping up the basketball season right now, Haven. It's coming to an an unceremonious end. So, <laughs> well, for some, for some others, you know, we've had we've got other local teams that are doing pretty well. I'm ho- uh, uh, I'm heading out to Spalding today for to watch the uh, my old team, the Spalding. Uh, Golden Eagles, and hopefully uh, see them win. But the Spalding men and the Spalding, Spalding women both clinched their regular season conference championship. Really? Yeah. So shout out to Coach Just and Coach Gray uh, for doing a great job with the Spalding, and they'll be hosting the conference tournaments here in the uh, Division Three SLEAC Conference. So uh, that's it's good news. Good news for them. So, uh, And then, of course, Louisville's got a pretty decent – Size game today. As, yeah, man, a big game against UC. The game is so big, the tickets have like quadrupled in price. Really? So, yeah, so if you want to go see this game, literally the tickets have like quadrupled in price. First they tripled like in the early part of the week. Now they're just quadrupling in price. Have you ever so. been in that place in Cincinnati, the shoe? Is that yes. where they're at, the shoe? I, I think in U.S. Bank Arena. In U.S. Bank Arena? How uh, I've walked past it, but I've never been in it. I mean, it's 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 a nice size arena. Yeah? So there you go. So... Uh, Louisville going up, and then Kentucky's hoping to avenge a loss today against LSU. I don't even know if Indiana's playing basketball anymore. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there with the uh, the, the scariness of that metal beam falling from the ceiling of Assembly Hall. Wow. You know, I, I, I took out like four row, four seats. You know, I, I knew Assembly Hall was old, but I didn't think it was that old. <laughs> well, they're uh, you know announcing the renovations of that place just in time, I guess. But it's uh, it's pretty scary. I mean, when you consider that that happened – just hours before a basketball game, if that happens during a game, you probably kill somebody. Oh, you're probably killing multiple people, you know. And it's just uh, that is some scary, scary stuff. But I've got guess they've got everything um, under wraps. You know, we've got stuff falling from the ceiling in Bloomington, the floor going out in the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green. Every, everything's All just happening. I know. So you know, one of one things that has interests me the most about this season. I say usually with, with U of L and, and to a certain extent in UK, you know, Patino normally turns it on to, you know, to tournament time. That's when you see Louisville make that big that big push. They look lethargic all season. All of a sudden they find the offense. They find a killer defense. They make a run through the tournament. And then, you know, for the big dance, they make that big run. You know, this year it, does, it just doesn't have that kind of feel. It seems like both of the teams are still – you know, this late in the season is still trying to figure out who they are, which is so weird. Well, with Louisville, I don't think you really know. I mean, they don't. the The schedule has been such that they, uh, to their credit, they've gone out and beaten teams that they were supposed to beat and beaten them badly and looked really, really good doing it. Uh, but those aren't really the teams that can exploit their weaknesses, and so we really don't know how are as Louisville going to be able to handle again. Everyone talks about down low with length. I, I believe that uh, you know, even in the Kentucky game, the the backcourt length really hurt Louisville's backcourt as well. You know, and having those smaller guards. And uh, I don't know if we're going to even have those answers really until until the tournament. I mean, there are some very good teams in the AAC, but there's none of those. There's no really big teams. I mean, Cincinnati's not a huge team where it can really exploit the Louisville's weaknesses. They can go toe to toe. Memphis is super athletic. Got a lot of really quickness, good quickness, and they've got some length, but it's not like it's not great length. Yeah, great size. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to me to just see what happens 
once the Cardinals get to the tournament, are they able to overcome their obvious deficiency of having a lack of size? You know, and, and as a U of L fan, I feel exactly the same way. It's like it's it's hard for me to to put my hands around this team because they beat the teams they're supposed to beat, like you said, they beat them badly. But then the good teams, which not a lot of teams do. I mean, that's really to their credit. That's that speaks to their mental toughness. I mean, they are uh, they have that. But go ahead. Yeah, but then when you play like the better teams on your schedule, or you play the teams when they're ranked, it, they seem to kind of I don't know. It's almost like they, they stiffen up almost on, on the big stage and just kind of it's just kind of weird. And it's it's really hard to get like a, a good feel for what Louisville can do and what Louisville can't do. And you know, conversely, look at Kentucky. You know, everything to me like goes to the Harrison twins. Right. How they play is how the team goes. And Kentucky to me is still playing to the level of their opponent. Of, of their competition. Doubt. Without a doubt. And the funny thing about Louisville, I guess you, we see it in the polls. You got one poll's got them as high as fifth, and the other poll's got them at eleventh. You know, so the pollsters can't really even figure out like who Louisville really is and and what they have uh, the capability of doing. Kentucky Obviously, you know it's they they still are. It's just the whole chemistry issue. Still, they're still there, not trying. They just can't seem to get it where everything's rolling in sync. And I do agree with you. I think the Harrison Twins. Um, this is not blaming the Harrison Twins, but I think you know you're right. Where the Harrison Twins are kind of the key to the whole thing. That if they can come out and have and establish themselves, um, it makes it a lot easier for Julius down low. Makes it a lot easier for Willie Cauley Stein. And, uh, and of course, you never know what you're going to get with Willie Collie Stein. You just you just don't know. You don't know. Now, I think the hardest thing for Calipari right now is to get the Harrison Twins to play for the name on the front of their jersey. And I, I think that is what boils down to the Harrison Twins, getting them to play for the name on the front of the jersey, and don't worry about trying to fill up your stats. Well, they might learn that the hard way, and and make the NBA scouts, you know, and, and impress NBA scouts, and I. And like I said before, I go back to the press conference from when they first signed they were going to Kentucky. One of the first things their dad says when he asked them, so why would you guys pick Kentucky? The first thing out of his mouth was because Calipari gets guys in the NBA. And like I said, because of that, you know, I think we, we go back and we look at the past Kentucky teams uh, in the John Calipari era, and he's, um, for the most part, Anthony Davis did that. Michael Kidd Gilchrist did that. They played for the, the Kentucky they really embraced their time at Kentucky. You know, you saw these these guys really um, engulfed themselves with all Kentucky. I mean, Demarcus Cousins still comes back. You know, feels John like they part John Wall. All those guys really seem to understand the that playing for that Kentucky name. But I think you're dead on this year, and we saw it last year. I don't think Archie Goodwin understood what that was either. But it that hurts your draft status because. You need those other four guys on the floor with you to help you look better. You need to make them look better. They need to help make you look better. The team is what gets you to that draft position ultimately. And um, they're going to learn that the hard way when they have to come back next year. And right now, to me, it looks like they're coming back next year. I mean, they have to come back. I mean, I don't see them making a T-like turn because T was a, an average T should have came back, though, too. He should have. But he, but he was an average point guard all through the regular season. As soon as the, the tournament starts, he he made that that switch. But the Harrison twins, you know, I I just don't see that progression from game to game to game to game. 
that you can say, I, I think they're getting it. If they just have a couple more games in their belt, it's going to happen. You know, it's it's just not there with the Harrison twins. And it's just, it, 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 I, I think they'll still probably try to go pro at the end of the year. I mean, I don't know. I, but, I, I mean, you can't. But, but right now they shouldn't because one of the things you have to understand is, it's like you said before, this is a team game. So even though you may look at the NBA and it looks like it's all one on one basketball, and then they, all they're trying to do is take some ball off the dribble, they're actually running really plays. Like there's real plays going on in the NBA, there's a lot of strategy. And, you know, it may look that way, but it's not really played that way. And I think the Harrison Twins, if they if they can't learn how to fulfill their roles as tall, long point guards in the league, they're going to they'll get drafted because somebody drafted on potential. Now, I, I don't know they will on Aaron, though. Andrew probably could get drafted on potential. I don't know Andrew, about Aaron. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron definitely needs another year. But what, what could probably happen, they'll both get drafted, and Aaron would spend – the next three or four years in the D League on ESPN five someplace. <laughs> right after the Kentucky Extreme. That's right. On Channel twenty four. <laughs> WKYI. In the NBA, uh, you know, the the problem is is that if you're gonna take a guy in first round, you gotta give him that three year guaranteed contract. And so um, you know, so that's where I think Teams would have trouble giving Aaron that. I could see Aaron going in the second round. I think he is. A, he would go in the second round. I think both of them would go in the second round. But then you're not guaranteed anything. And do you? Why would you take that risk? It's not like they're not in a family situation where they need the money. Their their family is in very a, stable. They're very stable family. Um, I don't. I don't know why you would go chase it. You're you're much better off just staying where you're at. And and I think they are going to stay, and then try to figure out, you know, f- work on your deficiencies, show that you can do it at this level, and uh, we're going to see because it, it, we're getting more and more talk out of the NBA that they want to raise that age limit to twenty. And really, so it's going to be really interesting to see um, what happens. Now, I guess the interesting part on that is like, does that happen before the next collective bargaining agreement is due, which is like not for another eight to ten years? It's it's a long time before they have to. Um, do a collective bargaining agreement with the players. You know, do they put something in there earlier? Raising the age limit to twenty seems like the NBA executives want it. Seems like the players' union wants it. And so, um, what do you think? You know, I. So here's, I guess you got to look at it from all perspectives. If I'm looking at it from an NBA executive perspective, I want the age limit to be higher because I want more information before I'm forced to draft this guy. There's Everybody's too worried about missing out on the next Kobe or LeBron or Kevin Garnett, the three guys that have kind of worked out <laughs> on the one-and-done status. They're all worried about missing out on that guy that they draft the Kwame Browns and guys like that and countless other ones that you can't even name anymore. And, you know, that they have to pay those guys. It's not something that they necessarily want to invest in. They want as much information before they draft these guys as possible. Uh, if I'm an NBA player, I want the age limit to be 20 because that's your competition. You know, you are a 30-year uh, NBA journeyman. You don't want to be kicked to the curb for some 19-year-old kid that uh, just because he might pan out. You know, you don't want to have that happen. And uh, the only one who – and if I'm the colleges, I want them to stay for two years because that makes better college basketball. So to me, two years means better pro basketball, means better college basketball. The only person that it really kind of hurts is the kid, 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because if you are a kid and, and who gets exposed, let's just say, for not being as good as you should have been in a high, as a high school player. You lost millions of dollars. You've lost millions of dollars. But guess what? You weren't that good anyway. You know? And I, so the, the risk, because it's so risky, I would think that the two-year thing makes a lot of sense. I'm all for people being able to go make money when they can make money. I'm all, I know for a fact, you know, if a kid was a scientist and he was brilliant and he made a, some sort of discovery at 18, he'd have the chance to go out and make his millions of dollars. But from the business standpoint, I think it makes sense to make it two years. Now, see, for me, I don't mind drafting kids straight out of of high school. That doesn't bother me. The one, the whole, you know, getting kids straight out of high school, like Moses Malone and all those guys, fine. You know, take them straight out of high school. But what I would like to see is more of a um, kind of like a minor league. I, I know the NBA is trying with the D league, but more of a, a minor league system where they can come back or – you know, hey, if they get drafted out of high school and they get cut out one year, let them come back and play college ball. They got to Like baseball because, you know, majorly baseball. Keep the rights. Yeah, because, you know, because in major league baseball, I mean, kids, you know, play professional baseball all the time and still wind up playing college football for some odd reason for four years. Right. And then have to make that decision. Are you going to be – are you going to continue on your professional baseball career because you were drafted out of, like, eighth grade? <laughs> or are you going to, uh, you know, pursue the NFL? Well, I think that, you know, I would like to see them be able to, and this is, I guess, multi-sports, but if draft a kid, if they want to go ahead and draft a kid early, let the NBA team uh, keep the kids' rights and let them go to play college. Some, treat the European kids and the American kids the same is what I want to see because right now the European kids have way too big of an advantage. And that's the, the system sets up right now for the European kids to have an advantage. A, sh- a crappy European kid will get drafted ahead of a so-so American kid because he's less risky for an NBA team, and that's the truth. Yeah, and it, may- and it makes financial sense. Now, the only thing I would disagree with this whole argument is when it comes to NFL. Only because football you don't know. Well, o- only because like football. I outside like Maurice Corret and just a very few like freakish college athletes. The NFL is such a is so much more physically demanding. Number one, number two, the complexity of the game from high school to college is just immense, and then the complexity of the game from college to the pros is even more immense. And you know, and especially for offensive linemen, defensive linemen, you know, you have to get your body in that type of physical shape. It, it takes a good you know two to three years to process all that, to get ready even to go to the next level. Well, we're going to take our first break, and then we're going to come back. Shane Stovall has uh, graced us with his presence. He's in the studio now after his car trouble. And uh, we'll uh, continue this discussion on the other side of the break. We'll be right back on the Weekend Sports Bus. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor-Ford-Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, we're back here on the Weekend Sports Buzz. Mike Indafo, Haven Harrington, and now join us, Shane Stovall. Shane, what's going on, my man? Uh, appreciate y'all having me. Sorry about the issues this morning. Ran into a little bit of traffic, a little bit of car trouble. So. No problem. Shane, this is Shane's first time on the show, so Shane, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, kind of do some freelance writing with Louisville Sports Live and uh, the Sentinel News in my hometown of Shelbyville. And just a big sports nut, you know, everybody knows I'm a diehard UofL fan, but I like all sports in general, really, and love discussing sports and love writing about them, taking pictures, and just anything I can do. 
There we go. So we got Shane and Haven in here on the UofL side, although Haven is probably the most objective, loyal fan I think I've ever met. I'm not saying you're not, Shane. I just don't know yet. And uh, we'll I try to be an objective Kentucky fan, but I do have blue-colored glasses sometimes, so we'll have to kind of see. But I know there's one guy who has, like, total crimson and cream glasses on all the time, and that's our caller right now, The Truth. Truth, what's going on? Going on, I see you got a Louisville Cardinal fan, and I'll tell you what, he's probably be disappointed because Indiana Cruden class outdone his class in football. A team who do not play nobody in football, and we'll know that they'll be in the bottom of the cellar in the ACC. What do you think about that this morning? <laughs> well, he, we were talking at the break that like Indiana is actually literally falling apart with the with the uh, with the beam falling out of the ceiling and stuff like that. that was some scary stuff. Well, you know, that's why we get, that's like, we're not like the Young Center, because the Young Center is overrated. The people in the state of Kentucky still paying, going to pay. But I got $40 million donated by one player, one person in Indiana, and I'm going to fix my arena up over the summertime, you know. And, and the state of Indiana does not have to pay uh, any taxes. I got it all in pay in full. Now, what's the next question? <laughs> <laughs> so are you still pretty confident your Indiana Hoosiers uh, win the Big Ten tournament? I'll tell you what, I got me some Danison shoes, got me some Dita's Danison shoes, and I'm not putting them on to March the 1st when I know my Indiana Hoosiers going dancing, All not right. the NIT. They, what's the NIT? Last time we've been to NIT, I think in 1977, uh, uh, 78, somewhere we won it with uh, Butch Carter, Neil. I think that's the last time. That was the year after the undefeated season is when you all won it. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I think so. Uh, we're, we're, we're NIT. Come on, man. That's that's some word. Uh, Louisville going to be playing next year. Come on. They paper champions. They just like Kentucky. Overrated. And what about Indiana basketball team? What about the great Hoosiers? You know what? what? Have you heard about? <laughs> you know what? True. That, that's a very good question about your Hoosiers. I have a question for you. You've been to Bloomington. Probably more times than all three of us put together. I've never been to Bloomington, i got to admit. Not once. Okay, so you've been to Bloomington more than these two guys have. <laughs> I've only been like three times. So I have a question for you, sir. Do they have barbershops in Bloomington? <laughs> well, guess what? You need to bring your own clippers. That's, listen, <laughs> that's why they call it the Hoosiers because it's a small – you know, people that ask what the word Hoosier is – it's, it's called, why they call the Indiana Hoosier. Hoosier is a small community coming together, working together. Before Bloomington, Indiana, it was, we was, it was, uh, Bloomington was small business, and they was working together and bringing units. Yes, we got barbershops. You got to go find them. If you, you got Yo, this Louisville go Cardinal. Okay. You got, if you, if you got this Louisville Cardinal UK stuff, they're not going to cut your hair in Bloomington. Come well, why won't they cut Yogi's hair? Yeah. Oh, well, Yogi got, that's the new style. You know, we used to have the buzz haircut. That's the new style. The truth told him he need to wear. The nappy okay. look? He's going for the nappy look. Yeah. Yeah, I the ba- nappy look. You know, they say if 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 your hair is short and nappy, Conkali will make it happen. So he put Conkali. <laughs> so Yogi put Conkali. Hey, what did you heard on Cruden about the Hoosiers about Cruden? You heard anything? Oh, I, I was uh, I was kind of beating my sources up yesterday trying to hear something. So I'm not I'm still not hearing a whole lot. So it's either quiet because something's like really starting ready to break and they don't want to jinx it, or uh, or there's not good news on the front. So they got to get a big man. I mean they. They got to, whatever they got to do, they got to find a big man. Otherwise, next year you're going to see B, uh, Peter Jerkin in the starting lineup. 
And by the way, uh, prayers of Peter Jerkin and his family because he, uh, he lost his dad this week. Mm. Did he? Yep. I, uh, did, I heard that they get ready to get another McDonald's All-America team, another guy on the McDonald's All-America team, unsigned out of Texas. Did you hear about that? Miles Turner? Uh, I, talked yeah. to, I actually talked to Miles' dad yesterday, and he, he did mention that they were setting up three visits, and they had not decided on the three schools that they wanted to visit yet, and they, uh, but IU, as far as I've seen, has never been mentioned with him at all. So I just heard that he, I just heard that he just they just came into pitch in the last three days, and they that very well could have. Uh, he's being heavily recruited by a lot of the schools right around there. I know Texas is putting on the full court press for him right now. I know SMU is really interested. I know Oklahoma State's in there. Um, I bet I've never heard IU mentioned with him. Uh, uh, but again, you know that doesn't mean it can't happen. He's uh, he's going to look for where he's going to have the best chance to play right away. So from that sense, IU makes a whole lot of sense because that kid is wanting to go showcase his talents for one year and then get out without a doubt. Super athletic kid and has good range for a, for a big man too. I mean, uh, he's to me though just a little bit soft um, and not physical enough. But he's a great shot blocker. Um, good can can okay. shoot from twenty out. He's a good player. I got another question for you. Then I'm gonna let you go. Okay. Uh, when when are you gonna announce the Derby Classic players? You know what's ha- you know the right now the Jordan game is killing me because obviously because since we recruit at such a high level of of player, a lot of what happens is that you know our a lot of the well all the guys that we're recruiting think that they might be in play for the Jordan game as well. So we have we have a good number of commitments already. But to kind of finish out, we got to kind of see who who's going to go to the Jordan game, who's not going to go to the Jordan game, and so I really won't be able to do it until the Jordan game makes their decisions. And, and uh, I'm hoping actually this year that you know we actually get some guys that Jordan wanted, and it looks like that could very well happen. Um, so it's going to be I got to I got to wait till they announce, and once they announce it, our thing should happen very quickly. I hope Jake Wallow play in the Derby Classic. Guess what? Huh? I can't say it, though. <laughs> Let's just say that I have one commitment already from someone who, lives in, who lived in the state of Indiana but does not play in the state of Indiana. But his con- there is a contract in for one kid that would fit Jaquan Lyle's description very well. <laughs> I already knew about that because you know he lived here in Evansville. You know I know his one. So, his people. We're happy, yes, that, that will happen. Hey! Don't don't the, for the truth who don't have no computer, but I know how to. You don't have a computer? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all have a good time, okay? All right, Truth, take care. Have a good one, Truth. Let me tell you, for a guy without a computer, they find out all that Indiana knowledge. That's old school, right? I love there. the truth, man. I think he's awesome. They got little birdies flying in everybody's ears, I guess. <laughs> you know, carrier pigeons. There you go. Truth will truth will ride and, and rib on other teams, but it's still fun. You know, I just you know it doesn't ever feel like he's like attacking, attacking you. No, I mean, he's, he's like the greatest Hoosier fan ever. They <laughs> oh, need to erect yeah, a monument easily. in Bloomington, Indiana, and they said only barbershop in Indiana for <laughs> the for truth, truth barbershop. That's right. <laughs> and for the truth, he's talking about some of the recruiting, you know, and, and not hearing things on certain players. I think you'll you you would probably agree. In my dabbling in recruiting in the last ten, twelve years, number one rule. Anything can happen in recruiting. Anything can happen in recruiting for sure. And, you know, I think we saw that this year with the James Blackman recruitment. I mean, right. I think that James Blackman recruitment went down to the absolute last wire. Um, and, you know, it looked like, I mean, if you would have asked me six hours before he announced where he was going, I think he would have said Kentucky. 
and then all of a sudden things started to change very very rapidly everything i heard was uk and then just you know like maybe five minutes before he may just you know decided to change his mind for whatever reasons yeah well i mean there was definitely things at play and i don't know i mean i don't know exactly what what happened there the kid is a nike kid i know that had a lot to do with what and then of course dad played at kentucky so there was a, and the, his only real connection in Indiana is that he lives right outside of Indianapolis and plays in Indianapolis. Uh, was an IU commitment and then came back. So um, it's a huge that's a huge get for them because he fills the need that they really desperately have to have. Both James Blackman and Robert Johnson will provide a lot of outside scoring for them. Absolutely. this year. So it's it's important for the, those guys to get those. We'll touch on real quick. You mentioned being a Nike kid, and I get asked uh, quite often with uh, certain recruits sometimes and fans as well. How much do you think it plays in some recruits' decisions, whether a school is Nike or Under Armour or Adidas? And I really, as, as silly as it may sound to the average fan or someone who doesn't really follow it, these these recruits these days really do look at schools now based on who they're affiliated with. Uh, it does. It makes a huge difference. I mean, I think uh, it doesn't always make the difference. Like, for example, Wiggins. Right. Wiggins was a um, Nike guy all the way through and then ended up going to an Adidas school. Right. Um, but someone like, let's just say like Shabazz Muhammad, I think that's ultimately what caused him not to go to Kentucky is because he was an Adidas kid all the way through and ended up going to an Adidas school like UCLA. Sure. And it's happened here locally too. I know for a fact. And, um, to touch but, on that, I've heard that uh, some rumblings at UofL is possibly talking about going to Nike in the I, coming I, I would not be surprised if Louisville is n- at least no longer Adidas. I, I think Adidas is done. They, they, We've talked about the air. Patino's contract with Adidas is up this year, and the school's contract with Adidas is up next year. Right. So we'll <clears throat> we'll hear something about that in the next twelve months. Let me ask Haven if if they if U of L you know could switch, who would you like to see him go to? Nike, Under Armour, something like that, or um, you know, for the basketball side, I like to see him go Nike. Sure. Only because that's I mean Nike's the king of of college or of AAU athletics. So there's the king. Um, for now, for the football side of me. Under Armour's got, I mean, Under Armour does stuff. some, you know, some great stuff with uniforms. Really and is. Bobby's the type of guy that he will put, you know, he would wear any uniform that, you know, oh, that yeah. they, if the players think it's cool, he'll we'll put it out it. there. Was it? He was here 10 minutes, it seemed like, in that Those video went viral to bring out the black uniforms in the first team meeting. And, yeah. I mean, you get to see the, the, the cheering going on and the happiness on their faces just for a black uniform. Because Charlie was, no, he's a straight traditional red. Home, white, away. I'm surprised they even had numbers it. with Charlie Strong sometimes to listen <laughs> to him talk. Well, this is a big weekend, not only in college basketball, but it's also the official start of NASCAR. You can't with get bigger the than Daytona that. 500, and we've got the biggest local NASCAR fan on the line right now. Carolina Steve, how's it going, Carolina? Just fine. And by the way, the guy who has won twice at Daytona, is, is uh, one of his sponsors is Jordan Brands, which is Air Jordan. That's Denny Hamlin. I didn't know uh, Denny Hamlin was. Now I don't like Denny Hamlin anymore. So now I got to get off that. I did like Denny Hamlin, but now it's you know I got to sway row from that because that's my that would have to be my arch rival right that's now. It's a nice so. knowledge drop there. I it is. Know <laughs> that. And then of course you got to be happy that the three car will be on the pole of the race. Tomorrow. Oh, I am the happiest person in the world. I have been enjoying. Racing since last Saturday night. Last Saturday night was a race in which half the field got taken out. I saw that. That was crazy. It was a crazy crash. And then, uh, and then Danica getting hit by her boyfriend. Horrible. No, no, no. I, I thought that Mike Joy had the line of the week. 
last week when he said, well, it's a good thing that Valentine's Day was on Friday. <laughs> yeah, because it, it looked like, like if I wouldn't have known – Anything about that kind of thing, relationship or whatever, I would have thought that um, that whoever hit her in there hit her on purpose because it almost looked like he she they hit her on purpose, and um, it was it was a crazy accident in the uh, well, it's not the Budweiser shootout anymore, whatever it's called now. So uh, that was that was nuts. So who's your uh, who's your pick for tomorrow? Well, I got three of them that I really like tomorrow. All right, number one. Is Austin Dillon. You know I got a pull for the three. Okay. No, number two is Denny Hamlin. He's run three races, uh, uh, two, uh, let's see, two races this week and won both of them, and both of them kind of convincingly. Okay. And third, I guess I'm going to have to go with a guy I hadn't done too good, but he's part of that Gibbs uh, team. Is Kyle Busch. He did do good. He did win the race last night. You took, you took my pick. You took my pick because I think I, when I saw him win the truck race last night, I was like, okay, he's got to win under Daytona, under his belt. I was like, this guy, to, to me, Kyle Busch, and you tell me what you think about this, I think he is the closest thing we've had to Dale Sr. and that people just don't like him because he's from Las Vegas. No, the people don't like him because he puts on a foot that he is the uh, kind of the bully type of boy that could go around and do it. I've had the opportunity to meet Kyle Bush in person. Wow. Kyle is one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. I used to get uh, garage and pit passes <laughs> at Kentucky to the truck race, uh, uh, being Mike Skinner's pitch, and uh, Kyle would be down from uh, a couple of trailers from us and uh, running for Billy Blue, and uh, he signed a bunch of stuff for me that I used uh, with Coach B and a charity auction and everything, and uh, he's just as nice a guy as he can be. He puts on that front. He wants to be the villain. I'm going to go with my three picks, and I, I don't think the other guys are going to weigh in, so these might be the three picks for the, the whole show. I will go here. with your three picks. Kyle <laughs> Busch, Casey Kane, or Jamie McMurray. Jamie, I like Casey Kane. Just hadn't done, hadn't showed himself on the big stage yet. He's a he's a good driver. I've uh, I've met Jamie McMurray. As a matter of fact, a couple years ago, when they thought they were having a tornado up there, Jamie McMurray went into the tunnel between the infield and the grandstands uh, for uh, you know protection if there was, and that's because he came from Missouri, where those uh, tornadoes had hit there. But he. He's a nice guy. Uh, it's going to be a good race. I tell you what, it's been two races, two wrecks for Jimmy Johnson. Yep, might be the year that Jimmy Johnson. How about how about when you look at the top ten qualifiers? You've got six Chevrolets or seven Chevrolets and only one Ford. Pretty crazy. Only Ford. one Ford. Yeah. Yeah. Ford just hasn't done that well. The Toyota, you don't see in the qualifying, but who's won the races down there? Every race has been won by Toyota. Toyota's been putting. On, it's been uh, they've been putting together great cars, so can't uh, for, no doubt about it. So, hey, uh, Carolina, we got to get up to a break and uh, just enjoy the racing this weekend. 
I will, and uh, I'll be calling y'all next week because it just happens to be in the nationwide race next week a boy from uh, Jeffersonville, Indiana, who's going to be running in it. Nice. With a famous name around here. Y'all have a good one. All right. Have a good Take one, care, Steve. Steve. All right, we, are, we will be right back on the Weekend Sports Buzz. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, welcome back, Weekend Sports Buzz. Uh, we are here. Make sure you turn on to tune into fourteen fifty Sports Buzz as we are excited to be the official radio home of IU Southeast Athletics. Join Matt Dennison for the weekly Grenadier Sports Report every Monday night at seven, live at Tucker's American Favorites on State Street in New Albany. For interviews with the school's coaches and athletes, including the men's basketball team and head coach Wiley Brown, 1450 WXCW is proud to be your leader in local sports. All right, so uh, let's talk a little football to close out this first hour. We went to uh, the first ever, my first ever Kentucky Extreme game Monday night. Nice. It was, uh, it was, it was definitely entertaining. Lots of fun. I def- encourage people to go out there. Got to see Mario Urita, who's and you, Going six six and six eight of those receivers, it's just yeah. Mario six six and uh, Josh Chichester is six eight. And then we had a uh, you have a couple guys from K State that can really play too. I mean, yeah, um, the big man Richardson is that his yeah name? Hulk Richardson number ninety nine. He plays a defensive is, nose tackle. He is the defensive line. He plays the defensive line because the, the, the man is huge. With a name like Hulk, you got to be on defensive line. And he yeah. had a hit in the first quarter that you know hurt me up by the press box. I mean, it was. It was crazy how uh, just how athletic it was, and then he got involved in a little bit of an altercation too later on in the uh, in the game. There was a little bit of uh, fisticuffs going on in the third quarter. You know, adding- it, it, the the game got a little heated. You could say the game did get a, a, a little heated. So it was uh, a very entertaining, and we got a game coming up Sunday. Yes, as Sunday. in tomorrow. No, as no, in, no, that's right. You got a week off. We got a week off. So next Sunday, four p.m. at the greatness it is Freedom Hall. We'll be play, we'll be taking on your Kentucky War Horses, quarterback by none other than UK's own Shane Boyd. Shane Boyd, who uh, besides the Pillsbury Throw Boy, uh, has put on a little weight himself, by the way, just a little bit. So hopefully he will not break his leg between now and then, and we'll be able to play at Freedom Hall. Freedom Hall is an awesome venue for arena football. Man, Freedom Hall still has the best sight lines of any arena I have ever been in. And I, I can honestly say, of any venue I have ever been in, Freedom Hall has the best sight lines. I'd have to agree with you on that. I'm, I'm, even unbiasedly, it's just it's it's almost insane how that place is. There's not a bad seat anywhere. No, I, we were you know you were doing the broadcast for the show, so I came up and saw you for the first half, and we're at the very top of Freedom Hall, and you're still so close to the action at the very top of Freedom Hall. It's crazy how good it is to watch a game there. But you know what? If you don't want to be uh, up there, and you know I like being up high on football games. You see everything kind of unfold, but you can get right on the wall. We'll be right next to the action. Seven dollars. I mean, it's a it's a great deal. And uh, and actually, in next week or next the next home game is Military Appreciation Night. So if you're active, retired military, you can get in for five dollars. Nice. Not bad. And when I say five dollars, you're not sitting at the top. You're sitting in the lower bowl for for the game. So it's like you're right near the action. You can 
see people get hit. You can maybe catch Mario because he got knocked over the wall, I think, like twice. Almost took out my brother-in-law. Yes. Yeah, so he uh, literally, like my brother-in-law was thinking about staying in there and taking the hit, and then he, uh, I went and chased after the ball, and you know he uh, he wisely got out of the way. Cause unless your, unless your brother-in-law's a huge man, that's he, probably not he's the a best pretty big guy. He's a pretty yeah. big guy, yeah. Okay, then it might not be too bad. Yeah, actually, because I think uh, him and I are thinking about suiting up for the Kentucky Extreme by the time of the year. Can you make that happen, Haven? Yeah, we can make that All happen. Right, good. All right, All right. so. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great time, and, and I encourage people to get out there and see them, and it's cheap entertainment and a lot of fun. You get to see some familiar names. and Mario uh, Rita, Josh Chichester, Richard Raglan. Yep. Uh, Sergio Pumplis, Spencer. Sergio Spencer. Maurice Grinner played awesome that day. I mean, I, you know, they, there's a lot of local uh, studs there that are there, and you're going to just add more and more as that thing grows. Oh, yeah, and that's, that's the great thing about playing like arena football in the state of Kentucky because UofL and U.K., Put out so much talent that we you, we could literally actually have pretty much stocked our team with just all U of L and K State and Kentucky players. I mean, everybody on the roster comes from like those three schools, right? And where else can you take your family out for twenty twenty five dollars and have you know two three hours worth of entertainment and and see some things you don't usually get to see? So. Yeah, exactly. It was a lot of fun. Got to see the Kia little rodents on the little, little, little hamsters. That's yeah. right. The Kia <laughs> hamsters were there. So there you go. And then uh, also on football news, we have the draft combines going on right now. The greatest. Um, I, I would sit and watch the NFL draft combine like all day yeah. long. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had um, a lot of news yesterday coming out about the quarterbacks. Um, you know, the, the the three quarterbacks it seems like are at the top of the list right now, Johnny Manziel, Blake Bortles, Blake Bortles and Teddy B. And uh, I guess they came out with their measurements yesterday. And I, um, Johnny Manziel did not – Measuring at six feet tall, which is kind of the kiss of death. He was like five, what, 10? 5'11", five, eleven, five, three quarters. He was just under. But, and you know, there's no way a five eleven quarterback could ever win the Super Bowl. Oh wait, didn't one oh, just happen? Oh yeah, never mind. And Drew Brees is right at six foot. So, <clears throat> you know, I don't know how much that hurts, especially when you got a team called the Texans drafting first. Now, of course, the Texans had the first pick when another Texas quarterback was coming out, and Vince Young, and they passed on him wisely. He didn't yeah, think so at the time. <laughs> And then, uh, and now, you know, will the Texans pass on Johnny Manziel and go with either Blake or Teddy? Because it's not an obvious Teddy number one right now at by any means. No, I mean, what, what killed Teddy was his hands were not tiny. A, yeah, they're saying his hands are too small. They're also saying his frame is too small. Yes, cause he, now he gained. Now he put He's, on ten pounds since the end of his college football season. He's added an extra ten pounds. Right. But they're still saying that he's too small because it's a solid ten pounds too. If if you've seen that video that's out of him at the IMG, I mean he is looks very every bit of the part of being an NFL quarterback. I mean he's got now, some decent size now. Yeah, but they're just like anything else. A lot of this could be positioning. There could be teams out there, you know, planting seeds that oh Teddy's too feeble. Teddy's frame is not going to be able to withstand the NFL beating. I think you've seen him play here for the last three years. We know how tough this kid is. Right. No, there's, there's no doubt there's toughness, but I think what's happening is is that NFL GMs are becoming enamored with Blake Bortles' size yeah. because he is the prototypical NFL quarterback. He has a good arm. Um, so they should just be sent tapes of Jamarcus Russell <laughs> and Leaf and uh, all those guys who have these prototypical NFL sure. quarterback bodies that you know everybody wants. I, I'm sorry, but that – it's proven time after time that those guys do not win in the NFL. Well, exactly. If I'm a GM, I, there's no way I can draft or not draft somebody just because they are, quote-unquote, you know, too small 
don't have big enough hands, a tad bit slow. If they're a proven winner, if they're a proven, you know, performer, which Teddy is, you know, like he, we've seen him against Rutgers with the injuries and UConn with the injuries. Uh, Blake Bortles, you know, he's got the size, but he's a proven winner. I mean, he's taken that team and, you know, I mean, had a remarkable season. Manziel, you know, there's no doubting what he can do. I don't pass on Manziel because he's not six foot tall. I mean, he, he's proven he can win. He's put up the two highest uh, total yardage seasons in the SEC history. Well, when you think about how, when you hear about how big his hands are, I mean, to me that weighs heavily in Manziel's favor. I mean, the NFL football is huge. It is, and he's almost got ten inch hands, and Teddy's closer to the nine inch side. That to me would make a big difference, right? Well, you know, it would make a big difference, and I think that's one of the reasons Teddy decided to throw during a combine because <laughs> wisely so, yeah, because usually quarterbacks in his position don't throw. They right. all wait to the pro days. Invite all the NFL teams out and watch them throw at the Traeger Center to his receivers, the sure. guys he knows, rather than throwing the guys he's never, you know, through with. It doesn't have that kind of connection. Right. Um, so that I was actually a pretty big gamble there. How for, did he for throw? I, I have no idea. How did he do? No one, we wasn't televised. Uh, we didn't get to I, see I, it. I I'm not sure the quarterbacks have thrown yet. I never saw okay. any video. Okay. Yeah, I know he did not do interviews yesterday. He will be interviewing today. Yeah, because I don't think the quarterbacks thrown. I think the first he do like running backs and wide receivers and quarterbacks usually like. Sunday or Monday. So if we if we look at these three guys, you know, I think I'm not knocking Blake Bortles. Any and the guy's a good quarterback. I don't think he's anywhere close to the league of these other two guys. I I would not put him anywhere anywhere in the league of Manziel and Bridgewater. And if you're comparing the two of them, though, I would think from a person in the locker room standpoint, you'd want Teddy Bridgewater. Although I've got to admit, I was really impressed with Johnny Manziel in that in that uh, bowl game with oh, against yeah. Duke when they were down. He's constantly on the sidelines, team on his back, getting the guys, trying to rile them up, get everybody to kind of you know rally around him, and and he's talking to those guys, getting them. I mean, he seemed like he's got above average leadership skills, but you got to wonder what's going to happen off the field with him. No, I mean, well, see, with Manziel, the hard part is is how he's what kind of offense will he fit in. And a lot of what Manziel does, it all depends on what type of offense and what type of system he's running and will he fit that system. So one of the things that makes Teddy so attractive, he played in a pro-style West Coast offense system, which a lot of NFL teams either run a West Coast-style offense or they kind of do what the um, what the Patriots slash Broncos do, which is a the NFL spread. It's like the NFL version of, of the spread offense. Uh, so it all depends on who's drafting, what position, who's going to trade up. And will he fit in their offense? I, I think Manziel's a great quarterback. I mean, he can scramble around, which NFL, he will have to learn how to limit his, his scrambling ability because he will not last. Ask RG3. Well, they, Bill Polian was calling him a play extender. Yes. Right. And saying that he was more of like a shorter version of Ben Roethlisberger. With, but also, and he didn't say this, I'm going to add this. I, I think he mentioned he's got, RG3 too, didn't he? he, he I don't remember that. But I believe he, he did. did. And, but uh, to me... It looks like he's got better decision making than Ben. I, I think Ben does a lot what Jared Lorenzen would do and just like throw it up and hope something good happens, and has the capability at least to put it where more times than not it works out. But the guy throws turns the ball over a ton, also too. He does. His size alone helps him extend plays because he's so hard to bring down. So well, it's I agree. A little different than Manziel running around and, and cutting on a dime and jumping over people. Well, I don't see Manziel like. Scrambling like Colin Kaepernick. I guess I don't see him rushing for 120 no, yards. He's more of a Russell Wilson type of rusher, yeah. a guy who's going to run around, try to extend the play the last second, then, okay, nothing's open. 
I'm, I'm heading downfield. Well, I think you, you kind of touched on as far as uh, you were talking about with Manziel. It's going to depend on which teams maybe want to trade up and things like that. Um, I believe it was with the uh, what's the name Matt Miller with Bleacher Report, the uh, draft guy for Bleacher Report, and he was talking about Manziel um, and the way he fits. And, and his thoughts were whoever drafts Manziel is going to have to be kind of an open-minded style and be able to form their offense around him and his skill set. You know, he, you can't just take Manziel and place him in one particular type of offense and say, okay, now go do it. I mean, you have to be able to have kind of an open mind and mold certain plays and your certain style around the, his skill set. And, and I thought he made a very good point with that. Which is exactly what Seattle did with Russell Wilson. Yeah. They kind of changed the whole offensive scheme to match what Russell Wilson does best. Uh, now, as far as, adapt. Yeah, now, as far as where Teddy's going to go, the guy that I look for, if like my, my draft knowledge is, Mike, is, is Matt Mayock yeah. of the NFL Network. That dude is like – He's he's almost, in. He's I mean, he's almost like always on point when it comes to, you know, zeroing in, zeroing in on that next level NFL talent. Because he was the guy when Brian Brown was coming out. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody around here was thought Brian Brown was way better than Matt Ryan. I was like, why are you taking Matt Ryan over this uh, over, over Brian Brown? Matt Ryan was like average at best at Boston College. I, I understand, but Matt, he was dead on when he. You know, talk about deficiencies and what guys did better. And he actually has Teddy as his number one quarterback. Saw that the other day. Yeah, he also has Calvin Pryor as the number one safety mm-hmm. in, 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 in the draft. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, though. You don't – whoever goes to Houston first wins. Because to me, out of the teams that need a quarterback in the top five picks, Houston is probably the most equipped to win right well, I away. Would, I would say it's not even close. And Houston, for some sense, still has the number one pick. Teddy goes there. Uh, I think there's a good chance. Otherwise, he's probably going to Jacksonville. It's good because it's in the state of Florida. Maybe he's, he's back home. But man, Jacksonville's horrible. Awful. Jacksonville's Awful. terrible. After that, it's Cleveland. Cleveland, which horrible. is terrible. And after that's the Raiders. The black yeah. hole for a reason. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, good luck, Teddy. Jacksonville's probably more likely going to get a Florida guy. They're probably going to take Bortles or they're going to take Teddy. Um, I think I Jacksonville know. needs something like this, something that they can sell the fans on. You know? I don't understand why they just didn't freaking sign Tebow. Exactly. Who cares? You know, he you weren't going to win anyway. Yeah, he would have put butts in the seats, which you know is great for your program and sales and all that. Even if you're not winning games, people are going to show up to see Tebow. Right. Because the GM does not want to shell out even that little bit of extra money to bring Tebow in, knowing you're going to have to cut him after one or two years. And then you have to deal with hearing everybody in Jacksonville saying, why don't you start this guy? Why don't you – why is Tebow playing? Because yeah. Tebow's horrible. Could be kind of a double-edged sword, sure. But then they, uh, you still have so – it's going to be interesting. So, to me, going to Houston is really the key for the long-term success for any one of these three guys. Houston, uh, really. I mean, they are stacked. They've got a, a ton of talent. It was Most publications last year preseason had them as possible Super team. Bowl yeah. contender. I mean, for sure, playoffs and possible Super Bowl. And so, yeah, that would be a, and I mean, really, a great they had for everybody. they had crappy quarterback play the entire way, and that really kind of – you know, it was what the I mean, what Shab was throwing more touchdowns to the other team than he was to his own team there for a while. He had to pick six almost every game of the season. It's like yeah. the first time in NFL history, somebody was throwing like six. Six had straight, like, yeah. He has, has, I think he had six straight games with a pick six. That's hard to do. That's talent. <laughs> it's real That's, hard to do. You can tell your, the opposing safeties here, be here at this hash, I'm going to throw it to you. <laughs> and somebody's eventually going to tackle him. It's just yeah. hard to do every game. All right, we got to end the first hour, so we'll be right back on the weekend sports buzz. Hey, 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 
You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. We are here, Haven Harrington, Shane Stovall, talking some sports. That that song right there, courtesy of Ray Rice. And, uh, Ray Rice wow. anthem. Right that. I mean, you know, the, the I'm not going to say the rumors. Allegations are that him and his fiance got into a, a heated argument, possibly had some fisticuffs, with uh, leading to Ray Rice knocking his fiance out. And there's a video on TMZ where he's like literally dragging her out of the elevator, and she is. I mean, you can tell she's out cold. Cause he gets her halfway out. It, it looks like he gets tired. Puts her down and she just like just like falls down. So here's the double standard, I guess, because it didn't happen on national television. But Marcus Smart, you know, barely pushes a guy, but did go in the stands. Totally wrong. And like we're still talking about a week later, he's got a conversation on Sports Center, you know, a couple of days ago, all this other stuff, which he handled very well. You know, this Ray Rice thing, I I heard about it on the radio, but it's not like it's huge. And to me, a NFL player hitting a woman is a lot bigger deal than a emotionally charged college kid who gives a light little shove to a, a guy in the stands. For sure, and I think you said, like you said, it, it's not on national TV. It's not being portrayed out there very much now. It's evidently it's on TMZ, so you know that'll probably go viral soon. But and I think Ray Rice, you know, he's always been kind of known as a, a kind of a quiet, one of the nice guys. You know, he's well, as, had many as has Marcus. I mean, I think Marcus is the same in the same boat. Yeah, I mean. really. Before that. Little incident, he wasn't, you know, it's not like he you know, was it's, it's looked all about, at. You know, it happened on national television in front of millions and millions of people, right, on ESPN, and ESPN just ran it to death. But at the same time, if you report every little bad thing that happens to NFL guys, you could have your own half-hour daily sports network. You oh, would. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, just, just, I mean, but, you know, I think these guys are put underneath almost like too much of a microscope. Yeah. And as a guy in sports media, I probably shouldn't be saying that because that's probably hurt my own livelihood. But still, I think these guys are put under too much of, of a microscope. These are just, I mean, they're just people. You know, it's, it's like if you went to L in the U.K. and if you drug tested every every person went to L and in U.K. And if they had the same media uh, scrutiny on them that you do the basketball team and football team, how many people would still be left in the colleges? Well, I mean, they do drug test those guys. No, they don't. Yeah, the, the average student? No, he's saying no, the average, the average student. student. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about they drug test the swimmers and the soccer oh, yeah, players. The right. soccer, yeah. But I'm talking about we just took the average student. Right. And, you know, put them in. The, but, but let's be honest. If you're a swimmer, golfer, tennis, nobody cares what you do. Right. I mean, well, you're not in the big money market, yeah. you know, big money sports. They kind of. You're not on national television. Or baseball, maybe. Every I mean, every blue moon, ESPN, ESPN U. Or CBS Sports may show a, a, a you know a baseball game or a softball game. But that's pretty much about it. You know, if you're on s- swimming track, unless it's like the conference championships, you're not getting you know any airtime. It's almost unfortunate today's athletes. Uh, you know they they're so looked at by every kind of you know outlet. They can't live a normal life. It's like you know they have to be in in player mode or you know in their profession even off the field. If they do anything remotely questionable off the field or off the court or whatever their sport is. 
people can be so quick to judge them and say they're this kind of person or that, and you know things can be taken out of context, and it's just. Well, I even go even further than that. I mean, obviously these kids start getting recruited, you know, sophomore, juniors, seniors in high school, and all of a sudden a high school kid has got, you know, seventy-five to hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Yeah, get their entourage, and you know. And you, and you say now you're asking no for a high school kid to behave on social media in a way that's going to portray them in a certain light, and uh, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say I'm innocent because you know lots of times I'm so nervous about bringing in a kid to the Derby Classic that's kind of a bad apple. If I'm looking at his Twitter feed and kind of seeing how he's behaving on Twitter, and I'm thinking, all right, this might not be a kid I want to have in. Sure. You know, it weighs. I mean, that's I'm might Wait, be a little hypocritical, but it's the truth. And, you know, these kids aren't equipped to even handle that. I mean, yeah, I mean, as most adults aren't equipped to handle that. I mean, because I mean, that's a lot of scrutiny because, when you know, we're 15, 16, 17, 18. How many times are going to say dumb stuff? How I many mean, times do you I say am, dumb stuff as a 37-year-old? I mean, yeah, I, 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 I said something dumb. dumb right before I walked in the door. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you, you say dumb stuff, you do things, you get in fights or altercations. That's what, that's what kids do. That's what high school kids do. I thank God social media was not around when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. Oh, no, it'd be horrible. I mean, it, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be horrible. I wouldn't have been able to play sports, most likely. Yeah, I mean, you'd be blackballed off everything because, you, know, sure. you know, we came on Twitter and I said, you know, what was on my mind or how I was feeling. I said it in the, the street vernacular of the day. <laughs> you know, I'm 17 years old, so I'm gonna, when I'm talking I'm with my friends on Twitter and Facebook, I'm saying things and, you know, back with the way I said things in high school. It's not how I say things now at 40 years old, but – you in high school, it'd be all you know. I was all about my little East Coast slang, especially like in ninety, what ninety two, my senior year in high school. What up, son? You know all that stuff. You know, so <laughs> I was an adjunct member of the Wu Tang Clans. You would have heard all sorts of "What up, dog? What up, son?" We were yeah. just trying Yo, to find son. the next tight jacket. <laughs> yeah, you know, there you go. And you know, now you know, somebody's like, "Well, back in eighty uh, seven on your Twitter feed, you said d d d d d. What do you think about that?" I'm like, well, "I'm going to offend something. I'm like fifteen years. I'm not going to do that." And it's well, ignorant. I mean, that is the real world, though. I mean, there's lots of jobs. People, a lot of uh, owner business owners that go out when they're hiring people, they go back and check their social media and see what kind of posts they've got out there, and um, it could it can affect you. I mean, uh, just with these athletes, it it, it is magnified. Yeah. I think know? on the flip side, you know, talking about some of maybe some of the negative things that some of these athletes say and post on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, a lot of I'm I'm pretty impressed with the number of um, students student athletes who are they do take this seriously and they are looking at it in a business standpoint, and they conduct themselves very well. I've been very impressed with several interviews that I've done on how articulated some of these guys are and, and just the way they handle themselves and they carry themselves, and they, they take it in a professional manner. So, you know, you've got kind of both sides. It does of go both ways for sure. And, I mean, again, those probably are the kids that understand that they're interviewing for something because they're always interviewing for something. Right. The NBA people are always paying attention to what you do. and Always on. You're always on. And that's important. I mean, uh, Very little margin co- of error. kind of a cool, you know, thing that happened with the social media guest to a certain degree was the thing out of North Oldham last night. I don't know yeah. if you guys saw that, but T on Sports Center. Yeah, T Salinas. I don't I know. I believe they won fifty-two to fifty. Yeah. So his two points are the difference. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> game not necessarily game winning shot, but yeah. in a way. But uh, you know, great, great for North Oldham to uh, recognize their uh, longtime student manager last night who. Uh, loves that school and loves that team, gave him the opportunity to, to score the first basket and yep. had a packed house and everybody was there cheering for him. And Even got a tweet from Dick Vitale. That's pretty awesome. So hopefully he makes it that. on SportsCenter. So yeah. it would be pretty pretty incredible. But, I mean, I, you know, we see all this stuff with the athletes 
today, and we have all these great stories that do surface because of social media. It's so easy to get things out there. So there is that double-edged sword. Sure. And it, I think learning how to control that at an early age is, is critical. If, the, if a kid doesn't have the right kind of support system around them, the coaches or the parents to kind of say, hey, you know, you, this is how you've got to behave. This is how you've got to act. And well, no, kids, you know, a lot of colleges now, they have a, a social media director, a guy who gets all the players' Twitter handles, and their, their sole job is to read every single thing they post on Twitter, to read every single thing they post on Facebook. And if they think they may get out of line with some of the things they post, kind of pull them in and say, hey, you know, do this, do this, and that. Don't do this. You can't do that. Well, Louisville players and UofL basketball players are not on Twitter during the season. Yeah, Patino. The football players are. Football will. Patino will not let his players tweet during season. Right. And I think it wasn't any one particular player that said something or per se that made that happen, but there were a couple – incidences or a couple of tweets that kind of got Rick's attention was like, okay, we're just going to make it a rule that nobody tweets during season, off season, you know, yeah, sure, go ahead, but you better not be doing anything that's going to catch my attention type of thing. So, Well, I mean, for, like, from my standpoint, the Twitter is so instrumental in what I – in the recruiting side because it's a great way for me to interact with the kids. The kids can see the Derby Classic name. Sure. Know it is. get retweeted. You know, when I go meet a kid for the first time – They've known that we've tweeted about them a couple times, and I mean it, it's a huge tool for us to use. Oh, I love it! Makes our line of work a whole lot easier. Yeah. yeah. So now I like Twitter because, to me, unlike Facebook, Twitter I think is where I get. I feel like I get more of an honest reaction from from players uh, because when when Charlie Strong left, you know, a couple of the very vocal very upset players, guys, very upset. They 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 took to Twitter. Malden was upset. Yeah, Malden was upset, but it was very, you know, it was a very honest, I, I thought, the exchange between, you know, the players and, you know, and the fans. And, and if you don't follow them, you just read it. You know, you could just, you know, you could feel the emotions in their 140 characters they were typing out. Then you guys got, like, Preston Brown, who's older. He's a senior. And he was like, you know, hey, dude's just chasing money. That's what he does. We, you know, whatever. Let's move on. And, it, you know, it kind of see that whole – no reaction from both sides of the football team is, uh, I, I thought, was very enlightening. Right, that's a good point. Well, luckily they branched out and hired a guy with strong moral character who's guaranteed to stick around for a long time. Well, you, you know what? Uh, <laughs> about, about that. About that. <laughs> you got him stuttering over here. Yeah, you know what? Uh, about that right there. I'm, I'm going to say this. Personally, I don't care if your coach only stays four to five years. That doesn't bother me at all. And I, I, don't, I don't mind being a As long as it's for the good reason. Yeah, as long yeah. as he's not getting fired because yeah, as he's as not winning as long games. As long as he's moving up. Yeah, as long as it's not cracked up. <laughs> but, you know, I, that doesn't bother me because I look at, like, other schools kind of in opposition. Every, I think most schools would love to be a stepping stone school. Oh, yeah, because that's of a graveyard like Kentucky is. Yeah, like Jerch says he wants other schools to pursue his coaches. That means he's doing his job and they're doing their that job. That means you're winning. Yeah, right. If another coach doesn't come after you or something like that, that means you're, you're not winning. You're not doing your job. You know, and I, I always point people right now, like University of Miami in football, mm-hmm. prime example. When they were the best, how can I put it? When they, when they were the best college football program, when they had that 20-year dominance, where they literally were the, the – Howard Schnellenberger, Jimmy Johnson days. Right. Yes, when they were the U. When they had guys running willy-nilly uh, – Michael Robin, Irvin. Robin, Robin Folks. <laughs> two live crew endorsements. Yeah, two live crew endorsements and, and all that great stuff. Uh, when he had uh, Howard Stellenberger, then you go to Jimmy Johnson, then you Eric go to Erickson, Schultz, yeah. then you go to the, the, the Co- 
Or no, no, no Barry he? wasn't there. No, no, Barry. no, no. It was uh, Erickson. Then you go to Coker. And all four won national championships. You know, they all stayed at a maximum of five years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were just, you know, that was. They, they were college it, football. Everybody yeah. wanted to be them, be like them. You had other well, teams emulate. Not, really. not, not necessarily people everything hated, like that. See, people yeah. hated Miami because Miami, Miami represented everything that you're not supposed to have in college sports. You know, the, the braggarts, the guys that were signifying. Well, it's hard for us to realize. The guys were talking smack. Because at that time frame. You know, we're talking mid-'80s. We're only 20 years away from Texas Western beating Kentucky and all the civil rights stuff that happened in the United right. States. Yeah. And so there was still, like, these fair, unfairly understood race lines in sports where, um, you know, today, 30 years later from that, it's it's a little bit more, I guess, accepted in how, you know, the way that sports are. Yeah, you know, and, and that day you had Notre Dame, which was the – the squeaky, you know, the, the, you had the squeaky clean kids, and then you had these these ruffians over here, in Miami, that were, you know, doing all sorts of gyrations after touchdown dances, and were openly just talking about other teams. And personally, I, I liked it. I, as a kid, I was I was a diehard Miami fan. I think you had a lot I, of people who, who looked at the Miami teams, you know, and, and they had a lot of those great ball players that came out of the Dade area, and and you know, some of them lived in the projects and whatever, and and they, you know, they put that persona on the field and off the field with the flash like you were talking about and I think like he says with some of the racial issues there were a lot of areas who didn't want to see you know these these ghetto kids celebrating and and you know acting crazy as they would say or whatever you know, but, it, you know they were kids and celebrating they were winning games it's really Why hard not? because of the, you know, like I when I was there like I would have thought the 60s were so long ago and all that stuff that was going on Martin Luther King getting, getting killed was in 1968 those guys that were in college at that time remember that. Yeah. And me being born in the 70s and pretty much, you know, being in a, a, in a more, obviously there's always racial issues that could go on anywhere, but in a more accepted time frame, you know, it, it, that just seems like it was forever ago for me. It does. I mean, it seems like yeah. it was forever ago, but, you know, and other things, it, it, I, I, I believe the ESPN 30 for 30 really highlights this very well when they talk about Miami. Was that you know at that particular time, Miami University actually still is, is is a predominantly white uh, private school, right? And Coral Gables, which is a very wealthy suburb in Miami, and then you know Howard Stoneberg's like, okay, you hired me to win. I'm not going to win with, you know, trying to recruit these uh, these you know, A students. That's sure. not going to happen. But we got all this talent right over here, and you know, in Liberty City. I'm going to get these guys. He wasn't and, trying to win an academic bowl. He's trying to win the orange bowl. Yeah. You know, that's, and kudos and was, to him for having the, the 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 brass or whatever you want to call it to go to go into those yeah, places and, that and some I, people and that, didn't. And that changed like the whole landscape. I mean, that changed the city of Miami. He learned how to be racially tolerant at the University of Kentucky when he played football there. So it all works out. <laughs> there you go. So, and Kentucky's, I think, still Kentucky's biggest mishired. Not hiring. Not, not hiring. Stonenberg. Yeah. I, mean, I agree with that. Yeah, because Stonenberger wanted to come to Kentucky – before he came to U of L, and so I, would that have been? I'm trying to think like when that would have happened. So he, I, I don't remember when Jerry Claiborne was hired, but I, I guess that they chose to hire Jerry Claiborne instead of hiring Howard Schnell. No, Jerry Claiborne had the job, and they so it would have they would have had to get rid of Jerry Claiborne yeah. to get him. And, and, and so. how and Howard came up after winning the national championship. No, he won the national championship in Miami, like eighty eighty one something yeah. around there. Then right? he went to the USFL. And won the title in the USFL, and then left the USFL, and that's when he wanted to come to Kentucky. 
of course, though, 1984, if it was around that time frame whatsoever, Jerry Claiborne was coming off one of the more successful seasons in Kentucky football history. Mm-hmm. Well, that where they weren't cheating like they were in the 70s. <laughs> or the 90s. Yes, in the 90s. So, that's fair to say. Or at least late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Curry so, didn't cheat. If can't he did, forget, he really too, they, they let Bear Bryant get out of there, too. That one's, that one's got to be up there close to the well, top as far as bonehead moves. Well, yeah, that would had more to do with Bear Bryant and Adolph Rupp, Adolph Rupp right. sharing the stage, and that wasn't that was That well. wasn't happening. No. I would I would love to confirm. You guys may have heard the, the watch story. The, the watch, watch or Rolex or lighter. I've heard everything from, you know, Rupp got a Cadillac and, and Bear Bryant gets a Zippo lighter with something engraved on it yeah. or a Rolex watch or whatever. I would love to confirm – one way or another, if that happened, I've heard from several sources that that part of the story is not true. But what I have—it's probably heard, not far off. Something, something right. along those lines. But probably. what I have heard is that there was a lot of tension between the Petrino two coaches. And oh, okay, we're rubbing. And, and those two coaches—we can talk about that as well because there's you know tension between those two guys. Sure. Well, we got to take a break. But yeah, there was tension, and they had to—they uh, made their choice. They made basketball's king. So let's take our break and we'll get back into more of the stuff. You know, we got to talk a little college basketball at some point, too. Uh, We'll be right back on the weekend sports. I'm just getting warm. Little paper boy, the Diddy, bringing us back to the weekend sports bus. I was a sophomore in high school when this song came out. I loved it. You know what? I'm going to give a big shout out to the man's on the one and twos back there, Mr. Matt. DJ Matt McCarthy? That's right. <laughs> DJ Matt. DJ M. You know, the guy may not listen to a whole lot of music. But that's okay. The, the man knows how <laughs> to his how, words how, how, were how no music. Didn't right listen to anything, right? <laughs> I know, pretty much. That's that's what he says. It's hard to tell. Man got rhythm. I've seen him dance. His son can sing. Has has a great voice. So you know, all sorts of musical talent there. All right. So we'll let's go back to our discussion a little bit. We were talking about uh, relationship between football and basketball coaches and race and all that other stuff. So uh, this week, the University of Louisville had a game against South Florida where they honored the 50th anniversary of breaking the color barrier. Um, not just at the University of Louisville, but any kind of really the state, the state of Kentucky. They they brought in African American players. They were the first team south of the Mason. If we can consider Louisville south mm-hmm. of Mason Dixon line, but the first team uh, south of the infamous quote unquote Mason Dixon line to integrate. And uh, it's a, it's a pretty impressive group of guys. Uh, mainly when you consider that one of those guys. Well, let's, we got to mention all of them. Sam Smith. Who I believe was the first one, yes. although did not stay all four years. If I maybe finished up with Kentucky Wesleyan or something like that, Eddie Whitehead and Wade Houston. What an unbelievable, important day that happened fifty years ago to bring Wade Houston to the University of Louisville out of the state of Tennessee. Had to probably be, I would argue, Wade Houston is the most important person to the University of Louisville basketball program that played at the university. If it wasn't for Wade Houston, U of O does not win two national championships in the eighties. They 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 are not the dominant team in the eighties right. without Wade Houston. I mean, Denny Crum had the X's and the O's, but it was Wade Houston who brought the Jimmys and the Joes. And we're talking about Wade coaching at Mail High School in the mm-hmm. late seventies. Had a pretty good player. Uh, God, what was his name? Uh, Doctor somebody. Uh, Doctor Duncanstein. <laughs> Something like that. Daryl Griffith, who was uh, pretty decent. Uh, okay. And probably one of the you know best high school teams of all time, 
you know, coaches him and Mail, I believe they came to Louisville together. Yep. Uh, obviously, Wade, being a former player, had great connections to the program. Uh, one of the best things that Coach Crum probably ever could have done is bring Wade on. And then that leads to Wade just being a – Wade was probably the first true monster on the recruiting trail as far as college coaches go. I mean, when you consider – I mean, he he's – He's he's definitely had a Midas touch. Without a doubt. Yeah. And I'm sure it had something to do with bringing Jerry Eves in. I sure. mean, mm-hmm. from Ballard High School, the, the McCrays. Uh, I mean, they, it was it was unbelievable. And if he doesn't go to Tennessee and Allen Houston comes here, the, I would imagine the Louisville program has a pretty successful run in the 90s. I've, I, I've daydreamed about Allen Houston. I don't know how many yeah. times playing for you. I would say, you know, because if you look at, like, Louisville's basketball history and – they were easily the team in the 80s. I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind. Louisville was the team of the 80s. From 80 to 89, Louisville dominated college basketball for, for that decade. They were a dynasty in the 80s. Yeah. Well, we had four Final Fours. Is four that Final right? Fours four and, and, two and two championships. Two championships. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Wade leaves the size of Kind of like Kentucky in the 90s, by the way. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I say that. Yeah. And as soon as uh, Wade leaves the size he's going to coach uh, the University of Tennessee – that's when you start to see the decline in mm-hmm. in Louisville's basketball program. To me, it's 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 no, you know, it's it's not a coincidence yeah, right. that after Wade leaves, and that's when you start to see kind of a slow but steady decline in the basketball program because he was the guy he he brought the talent in. He was he was a great coach off the off the bench, um, you know, and just the energy and everything he brought to the program took it to that next level. And it was like Batman and Robin, you know, it was like you. Ham and ham and burger, <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. You know those Denny and Wade. You know those things just went together so well. And, and you're exactly right because Wade would go out and get the kids, and Denny's personality. He was so flexible and easygoing, almost to a fault sometimes. That uh, and you know my experience being that I was with that ninety eight, ninety seven, ninety eight team, so I was in practice every day. But just seeing how he handles everyone as an individual on an individual basis, managing all those personalities, something I know that he learned from Coach Wooden because Coach Wooden would say that, you know, you know, you never treat every kid the same. It's impossible to treat every kid the same. You treat them fairly. There's right. a difference between treating them all the same and treating them fairly. Sure. And, uh, and he would even go out and say that the standards would be different for someone who is a star player and someone who's on the bench. Well, yeah, and, and I think it should be. I mean, like you say, you got you got to be fair, right? But not everybody is the same, so I try to treat them the same, right? And uh, but that that mix of those two guys together, I think, was kind of a perfect storm. It was. It, it was. It was a perfect storm for you know um, the athletic department, the basketball team, and that's led, I believe, led Louisville to being the greatest team in the in the nineteen eighties. If I'm not mistaken. Wade was from Alcoa, Tennessee, right outside Knoxville, mm-hmm. same place where Randall Cobb's from. Yep. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Alcoa is pretty important to the state of Kentucky. It is. So, uh, and then so it had to be really sweet for Wade for them to be able to play Kentucky and knock them off in Tennessee that, for that first dream game. I can I'd only imagine. i he was probably pretty giddy about that. At home. It's probably had to be just – I can't even imagine how awesome that would have been. Going back to Allen Houston, I mean – now, when I was a kid, Alan Houston was, I mean, he, he was. was it. I mean, is he the best player to come out of the city of Louisville since Daryl Griffith? Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, Would you put him up there with Rondo? I mean, sure, yeah, arguably, sure. Yeah, arguably, yeah. I, I mean, it's him or Rondo, right? I mean, is Angel, he came, I mean, Angel, I'm, I'm sorry, it's different. Yeah, yeah. High school. Uh, high school. Like, th- th- we came through the high school levels here and all that kind of stuff. Ah, man. Um, man, you would have, yes. I would th- I would think so. Yeah. I t- and someone that I kind of throw in there just strictly about high school, and it's a shame because his career didn't go to where it, it could have. Jason Osborne. I mean, coming through high school, phenomenal, was, phenomenal a, player, a beast. He he just made the mistake of having his priorities a little sure. out of whack. So yeah. uh, he was, but I, he was. But I don't me, think he's Allen Houston. He's not Allen Houston, and no. I don't even know if he was Juwan Wheat. To be honest, oh yeah, with no, I'll I take Wheat over that. Too. So you know, and uh, I, I kind of would have to put Allen Houston and Rondo kind of up there as the as those two guys. And Quentin Snyder last week breaks Allen Houston's all time scoring record. At Ballard, yeah, so he's got that going for him. Yeah, <laughs> and this kid is a this is a, just an unbelievable accomplishment when you consider that he's not a a score first point sure. guard. Listen, my question is is do you think because you're you're a guy who's who's still on the on the basketball recruiting trail? How do you think the city's level of basketball talent is? Because you know you talk about guys back in the day. Because I listen to all my my dad and all his friends talk about going to the Dirt Bowl and Shawnee Park and. You know, you would see just like, you know, Griff and, you know, just the, the amount of, of talent, uh, King and all those guys that were just like legends. Of you mean a- before the UK UFL football game? Yes. That's exactly what happened. I mean, the UK UFL football game was played, and all of a sudden you guys got, got guys like Mario Urita who start choosing football over basketball. And, I mean, that's honestly, to me, what happened, whereas that football game, you saw – the exact opposite of what's happened to basketball in the state. The exact opposite has happened to football since that game's been around. Our football talent has dramatically increased since the UK UFL football game was played than the way it was before. Do you all disagree with that? Absolutely. And, uh, and no, no, that, that would agree. Oh, no, don't disagree. Yeah, no, I yeah. mean, so all those guys that were the great basketball players, the Mario Uritas out there, the Maurice Grinners. Maurice was a hell of a basketball player. People sure. Mike Brown. Michael Bush, yeah, Michael Bush, yeah. all those guys that would have chosen basketball before because that was kind of the forefront. I mean, now we're those athletes are playing football. We just don't have a lot of athletes that are going to have to choose one or the other. I mean, I've even put Tim Couch out there. Tim Couch that was, was averaging thirty-two points a game in high school and basketball. And if he, if that's his focus, I met him at the King of the Bluegrass tournament. I think it was he might have been a senior, maybe a junior, and, and introduced himself and shook his hand. And I was a few years younger than him, but. I mean, shaking his hand was like a grizzly bear with a with a catcher's mitt. I've never seen hands so big on someone who's not seven foot tall. Yeah, and just but he's a super nice guy. But yeah, he was a phenomenal basketball player, and but, people t- seem to forget that sometimes. So exactly what has happened to basketball is what's happened to football, and it all started with the with the Kentucky and Louisville playing fo- and playing football together. Yeah, you brought you brought up Urudia choosing football over over basketball, and. You know, it's Devontae one, Parker. Sure, it's one thing for for a football player or a athlete, a basketball and football player who's maybe six foot, six foot one, which is not necessarily you know ideal basketball size unless you're a tremendous point guard or something like that. But you know, you're really a six foot six. I mean, right. he could have played. He had basketball size. Oh, if he concentrates, if he concentrates on basketball, he was a Division One talent. Sure, playing both. He was. But if he goes and just, I mean, he was seventh region player of the year. I mean, this guy was a stud. Right. And if he concentrates just on that, Devontae Parker, another guy who was seventh region player of the year in basketball, concentrates just on basketball, they're high in Division One players. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that the last little bit was kind of those Fairdale teams with Dwayne. Well, Dwayne Morton was at Central, but uh, uh, 
Carlos Turner was at Fairdale. Maurice Morris was at Fairdale. Jason Osborne was a male. That, that that was kind of like really the last little group uh, of, of guys. The golden year of, uh, of high school basketball. Juan Wheat. All those guys were kind of that was it. You know, uh, I used to always. You all remember getting the Streets and Smiths oh, yeah. basketball yeah. preview magazine, and they always had those all Metro teams in the mm-hmm. back. And I would. That's the first thing I would go look. I'd open that thing up and I'd go look. Okay, here's the all Metro teams, and they would have like seven or eight metropolitan areas, and we were always one of them. And now we wouldn't even be no, close to in the top thirty. Yeah. No, I mean Memphis is kick. Memphis, right. who's the exact same size city, is kicking our butt. That's because they do have Memphis football. It's not really anything to talk. Memphis about. Memphis football is nothing <laughs> to talk about. But they're still more and where geographically positioned in a football ha- a hotbed. I mean, they're right. I right think with them the having city. an NBA team in that city as well. You know, we don't have an NBA team here, so football kind of takes that spot. You know. So. Yeah. Kind of, that might factor in a little bit, but, but you know, metropolitan wise, it's not the same. I mean, we the city of Louisville would put out a, a metropolitan team back in those days that would compete almost with any area out there if you had just had to choose the top seven or eight guys. And you know, now we don't even really turn out seven or eight Division One players. Could have had their own Fab Five basically every year. Yeah. Now this year's a little different. I mean, there's there, Lamontre Harris at PRP is. Mm-hmm. A sleeper that's an incredible player. Obviously, Ballard's got two guys that are top 100 players in the in the country. It's just uh, it's it's different. We might ask question. Do you think it's hurt the local scene here that Uva and UK has kind of passed over some of the local talent that has come through here, like the first time they haven't passed. Well, in a way, I, put this. A, I kind of agree with that. It's a good point. It seems like Patino and Calipari both not necessarily pass over. But they don't might might not look at some of the local guys as hard, or they might kind of maybe they're telling them, "Well, we're we're sort of looking at this guy," and then you're kind of like a reserve plan. So I think that has led to some of them going out of state, you know, to like Xavier's and Ohio states and things, Illinois and things like that. So yeah, I think that's a good point. The guys that you had to like go back and look are probably there's there's exceptions, I guess, to the rule. So like Shelvin Mack at Butler, mm-hmm. Shelvin Mack gets out of Lexington, goes to Butler, um, obviously. The span that Shelvin Mack was at Butler, he goes to two national championship games. Um, Kentucky would have probably liked to have had him coming out as a freshman towards the end of the deal when they're you know they have John Wall and Brandon Knight. I'm not so sure Shelvin Mack plays. AJ you know, Anthony Hickey at LSU right now. He's got to play. Has you know we made that point a couple of weeks ago on the show. Would you have rather had Anthony Hickey for three years or would you have had whether had Teague, uh, uh, Harrow? And now Andrew Harrison. Well, I mean, I probably would rather had Hickey as a four-year yeah, four yeah. player. Now, Hickey was such a late comer, you just didn't know. I mean, that was a guy who we thought was going to play football. Mm-hmm. And we thought he was going to go play college football and not play basketball at all. And then he goes on this magical run in the state tournament, has a good derby classic, and all of a sudden he's got an LSU offer and then makes the most of it. So it's just hard because – you look at these guys on paper, these Kentucky guys, and they just don't seem like they actually – they just don't look like they measure up. And if you're a coach who's – you know, you're banking your salary on a kid producing. It's I th- hard I it's think, hard to too, you know, uh, around these areas, there's not a, you know, a, a whole lot of elite-level teams, whereas, you know, in bigger states like California and Florida for football, you know, there's so many elite teams and there's so much great competition – so these coaches look at these guys and they know, well, you know, they're going up against this phenomenal team here. Right. I mean, that's why D'Angelo you can't, you Russell can't really get a good feel, or you know, they can't get a good judgment on how they perform against, you know. Well, Rondo was the first them. one to really leave. 
Like Rondo left his senior year and played at Oak Hill. He had to go play at Oak Hill. And D'Angelo Russell leaves after a soft, as a sophomore instead of playing at Central. He goes down to Montverde Academy and is now an elite two guard in the country. And so a lot of our elite guys have to go somewhere else. That's the same problem, though, that happens in a lot of places. It's not just here. No. Um, and you can't fault the kids. No. I mean, Ballard's played an elite schedule. They've played against some big teams. Right. Now, do you think if Louisville had a stronger AAU presence? I mean, you got the Louisville Magic, so you got a you know, nice little AAU team there. But do you think you may need one or two more elite-level AAU teams in you got to be able to field city? them, though. I mean, right. Ellis does a good job with the Louisville Magic. I saw Ellis last night. Quinn you got to have the bodies to make more teams. I mean. But yeah, you got to have, and that's like when I look at club soccer. Like we got way too many club soccer teams. You know, they're they're just it's a money <laughs> grab at that point. And Ellis has to fill out a team, and like he, it's it's going to be difficult for the next couple of years for him to put a, a a group together. To me, we want a Louisville AU team that's going to go out there and make some noise and compete at a high level instead of having a watered down version of three or four teams that. No, everybody's kind of mediocre. Uh, Kentucky Travelers are the group out of Lexington. So we need to go ahead and take a break. I, I want to get back to this discussion. Though. we got good stuff. we only got one segment left. We could really use another hour. So we have to petition for that maybe. So That's right. Uh, we'll be back on the Weekend Sports Bug. And all of a sudden I see high moving guests like magic. And paper work is a magician. If I wasn't like it, might be stuck in a All right, we're back here. Last segment of uh, this week's weekend sports buzz. I like it. He's pulling in the really good stuff. I mean, for a guy who doesn't listen to music, I'm telling you, man, Matt, Matt's frightening. Are you down with OPP? No, I'm not. Are you down? <laughs> are, you, are you down with something? We got to come up with what OPP can stand for. So uh, we're, we're going to continue our discussion because I think we're pulling up some great topics here. Uh, just like the dynamics of football and basketball in this area and we were kind of talking a break a little bit about how the UK UFL football game has really kind of changed the the powers that of or I guess the talent um, is now kind of going more towards the football side than the basketball side. And I, I go back to thinking about what it was like in the early nineties or eighty nine or ninety one. I can't remember right around that time when the basketball the football game started up. Both programs are in like terrible spot. Shambles. I mean, shambles. I mean, listen, I know you, you all had this, like, Fiesta Bowl win that because nobody would go play in the Fiesta Bowl because of the racial thing with the, the Martin Luther King deal. But and, we did beat the Tar. And you beat Alabama, who no, was, like, 6-6. Six and six. No, we beat the Tar out of Alabama. We didn't beat Alabama. We wore Alabama But that was out. not a great Alabama that, that team. Game was and that was not a BCS game. Okay. So, anyway. <laughs> but it was Alabama. It was Alabama, correct. Yes, we beat Alabama in the 90s also. So, uh the the whole thing there is both teams were in shambles at the time. I mean, we had Ron Cooper. Ron Cooper. You, Louisville's got some discussions of dropping football or even taking football down to the one double A status. Yeah, I mean, that, that, those, that, that's yeah, where it was. That's bad as it gets. And then that was more in the eighties and the nineties. The nineties, we had brought in Howard Stellenberger, who sold a dream. You know, it's just a, the only variable is time. And that collision course. The, the collision course, only variable is time. We had the Fiesta Bowl. But those mid-90s were pretty bad there with Cooper. I mean, that last year yeah. with Cooper. Cooper had all defense, couldn't score to save. To well, save it wasn't all defense when Penn State puts up 50 points in the first half. And then. No. All right, so. That was that. Was, yeah. But it, bottom line, both teams. And then, to be fair on that front, the Kentucky dream was kind of sold when you got Bill Curry coming in, who 
you know, looked like he was a pretty f- good football coach at Alabama. Won a national championship. Won a national championship. Yeah. And so you're thinking, okay, you know, we're starting to have some sort of dream there that didn't really work out. But so the, the UK U of L football game gets rolling. And um, the impact wasn't immediate. But over time, we saw this buildup of – uh, and get some success. Kentucky goes to gets Couch, who was the number one pick in the NFL draft. Huge deal for them getting to go to the the Outback Bowl. Louisville has obviously their success with Redman, starting out Ivan with John Green. L. Yeah, and building around some great local talent. That but that group of local talent. You just said it. You tell me right now, Brian Brom, decent Michael basketball Bush. player. Michael Bush would have, could have been a basketball player at that point. Now Brom probably would have been a football player, knowing his family roots. And same thing with Redmond. But you had other guys that were kind of around there that probably would have chosen basketball, and now they're choosing football, and it builds up, builds up. So now we're, we're having this major shift at the high school level in Kentucky where the basketball is not nearly as good as what it was, still a good product, but not as good as it was, and the football is a lot better than it was. A lot better. So now we're into this. We have Bobby Petrino over here with Louisville with high aspirations going to the ACC, you know, Louisville – Fans now have been used to going to a couple of BCS games, have tasted success. Kentucky has got these, got Mark Stoops in. Some uh, they've got stadium renovations. They've got monster recruiting classes. They've got a jazzed up fans base that I've never seen before. That we, we, you know, Kentucky's had plenty of two and ten football seasons, but it's just been ho hum once basketball start. Now we've got two and ten football seasons with these monster recruiting classes. It's like all right, once the spring game. Yeah, see, and that's the difference. Like, if you go to U of L and UK's message boards, and especially if you go, if you visit the premium sites, like the diehard fans, guys who want to pay money for the recruiting information, all that stuff. The biggest difference I've seen, and even on the regular message boards, if it's like just a general sports, like school message board, there is still more talk about Bobby Petrino's recruiting class and who he's going to target for 2015. Then you hear about U of L's basketball conversations, and you know now we have a big game this weekend against UC. So you know some of the conversation has kind of changed. Well, just compare that. that to basketball recruiting for 2015. Yeah, it's, not, right. it's nothing out there. I mean, if you want to compare apples to apples, you hear a lot more about the football recruiting for 2015. Kentucky is a little bit more recruiting centric and crazy, I think. Sure. Anyway, so you but it used to be all basketball recruiting wise, but now it's a good mix of both. And Louisville, I, I think you're right. You're seeing the football recruiting well, Louisville side, and, it, and I think it dives into the potential. A lot of people are just super excited about the potential with Petrino and his staff. With some of these guys that he's got, Lamar Thomas and Terrell Buckley are almost, you know, godlike in Florida high school recruiting. And the fact that now you can throw in ACC ties, you know, we're out of the the ACK, and they're not Conference USA. So just the potential. And of, you're going to be playing Miami in Florida Sure, State. yeah. And you yeah. Got, we got the defending national champions and Heisman winner and Papa John's next October. And, I mean, that's but, but Monday night. Potential. I yeah. mean, Monday night. Monday night football, September 8th. Labor Day weekend. All eyes going to be on Papa John's Cardinal Stadium. With the U. Rematch. The yeah, U. with yeah. the U coming in, which is kind of built up as a rivalry, you know, over it, it the over the decades. So, it's kind of a rivalry in the making. So it's just – Kind of coming around full circle now. You know, it's so interesting because, like, from talking to folks and, you know, from interacting with fans and with things of that nature, just how more excited. I mean, we're, we're, it's almost March, and people are still talking to me about football. I can't wait until the spring game. I can't wait to see what Bobby does with Will Gardner and Devontae Parker and Eli Rogers and 
Dyer and all these other guys. I can't wait to see what the offense is going to do. I can't wait till we play Miami. You know, we're targeting kids in California now. Haven, tell me about the kids, the football players we're targeting in California because apparently Bobby is putting offers out like all over the country. I mean, he's literally got guys in Alabama, a couple guys in Connecticut, Maryland, a couple guys in California, Texas. I mean, he's just dropping offers everywhere. I think yeah. I counted 35 offers in one day uh, last week. I believe him. I even got an email. I got an offer from him. <laughs> Are you going to take it? I mean, you know. and, and Stoops is doing the same thing, and, and, and the excitement on a football program. Well, they had a junior day at Kentucky where they had like three five-star guys in for their junior. Yeah, day Louisville and Kentucky. Kentucky both have junior days, but kind of back to back, and they had uh, lots of great talent come through. Uh, I mean, just and you're talking not just Kentucky guys going to the junior day, right? Like, kids from a couple kids from Florida came up, some from Ohio, some of the some of the powerhouses in Ohio. The kids came down, and I've heard a lot of good things from them. That a lot of them love UK and love what's going on there. And the momentum, and a lot of them, they and they talk about the potential for Louisville, you know, kind of a, a sleeping monster in the ACC coming up possibly. So big things for both schools going on. So we're seeing this shift. It started with the UK UFL football game, planting the seed, making football more prevalent in the state of Kentucky. And this high school thing that's happened over the last 20, 25 years is now coming to fruition. And we're seeing these two football programs kind of evolving into their own. Louisville's definitely ahead of Kentucky. I, I'm not going to say though. I don't. I think Louisville's had a little bit of an easier road than Kentucky has at the same time. Well, sure. And yeah. Now, but they're both kind of coming there. Are we going to? We mentioned at the break. Are we going to start to see a shift from these basketball-rich tradition schools, where the football folk it's you know, become a little more football focused? I told people five. No, well, not man. I'm date myself. I told people ten years ago, this is going to happen. That University of Louisville, it will make that switch. And people think I'm crazy. They, they, they see I'm crazy now. That L is going to make that switch from a basketball-focused school. You're going to see a dual-sports school, and then we're going to go to football. And going to the ACC, I mean, you look at the, the great basketball competition. Still got Syracuse. You got Pittsburgh. Syracuse North, and Duke today, by the way. Yeah. going to be phenomenal. You got you know, North Carolina. You have Duke. You, know, you have those great basketball story traditions. But I'm telling you right now, once we get to the ACC and these Louisville fans start traveling to other ACC schools. And see how it's really done. And Yes, and you start seeing the Florida States, the Clemsons. You can't say Miami because Miami's it's horrible. Yeah. Right. Horrible. But Florida State, the Clemsons. Yeah, Virginia Tech, Virginia. That is going to be a cultural shift, and you're going to start to see that shift. And if Bobby can score, which he will because he's scored everywhere he's been, and if he wins, which he will because he has never been a loser, you know, you're going to start to see that that big shift. And I think that's one of the reasons Patino is a little upset. Was upset in that press conference. You know, said it several times. No, I didn't know Bobby was here. I really don't think he should be here because Patino knows what's going to happen. He's protecting his turf. A little yeah, bit. he knows what happened because when Bobby was here the first time, when we was playing a blackout game at West Virginia, nobody cared what was going on with the basketball team at that point. We were in the middle of basketball season. All thing people was talking about was, are we going to play a national championship? What BCS bowl game we're going to? What's all the other college football teams doing? Where's Little moving the polls? What's going to be interesting to me is I think we're in a situation where you got Patino and Cal Perry both are probably on short time frames with their time left mm-hmm. of either school. I don't think you can be at the, I, I th- you know Patino's at the end of his career. I think being yep. at Kentucky longer than ten years ages you twenty. So sure. I, I I think you're going to start seeing where these guys are in the last three years or so of being at this school. So the next hire then. You have to replace a Patino or a Calipari. That's where, to me, where you could totally see the shift happen. 
that could be a make or break, you know, hire or lack thereof. If you, you know, if you pass up on somebody or somebody doesn't work out, I mean, that could just send send a program in downward spiral. Well, I mean, not be really able to handle those advantage. dynamics either. I mean, you're not you you can't. There's not another John Calipari, and there's not another Rick Pitino. Well, there is actually another Rick Pitino at Minnesota. Minnesota, but it's not the same. You can't actually it, it just to replace the dynamic that that person brings and how they represent the program. You know, it's gonna. They might not take a step down win wise, but they're gonna. They're media wise. They're gonna take a step down. It's just. It's well, gonna be very interesting. And Kentucky, the hard part is, is how do you replace? Because the way Calipari recruits, whoever comes next. It's not going to be able to recruit at that level. They're, yeah, they're not going to have anything to build off of. Yeah, and, it's, and, and yeah, there won't be any talent there. They can be like, well, I got these guys for these other two years, and if I just add these places, we can be okay for these couple years. The next guy that's going to place Calipari is going to have to literally rebuild that U.K. roster, and it's going to be another three, possibly four years for them to build that, you know, for them to build that roster back up. And about Kentucky, the other thing I worry about as well, if Stoops does have the level of success that we think he can have, especially year four and five, does Stoops stay? Man, and, if he stays, though. And, and, and then as, as you can't. Not, not if he stays. Do they pay for him to stay? Right. And, that, and that's the he big could thing. Build, he could build something pretty nice there. I mean, he's already on the right track with it and got all the outlets. Pay him. I, I think Kentucky will, too. I think they've invested too much now. You know, it used to be that they can't. They, that Kentucky wouldn't have the facilities, that they wouldn't pay for the assistance to coaches. Now they they're paying the assistant coaches very competitively. They're doing all the upgrades to the facilities. They're not investing all this money right now for them to not at least be in the conversation to keep Mark Stoops. I'm well, not naive. Kentucky's a stepping stone job, but it could easily, just as easily, turn the other way. Uh, just the way Louisville's getting ready to. Yeah, and the thing is, Louisville going to ACC is going to put so much pressure on Kentucky now. If Louisville goes to ACC and has success, and there's no doubt in my mind. If Bobby's there, Louisville's going to have success in ACC. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's seven and six, eight and four success, or seven and five, eight and four success. I think it's for, you know, according eight to Sagarin. According to Sagarin, if you look at the team they have now, uh, versus other teams, according to Sagarin, should go ten and two. But you know, you never have that smooth of a transition from one sure. coach to the next. I'm looking anywhere between an eight to nine win season, which would be a phenomenal success. You're going to beat Miami. Uh, you you probably beat Notre Dame. Uh, Easy now, Under Armour Notre Dame. That's right. So you know, but that's gonna put tremendous pressure on UK to be like either keep Stoops or next hire you get. You're gonna have to get another another home run higher because you have to keep up. I uh, mean, well, this is like the end of the show, and we could go on. I think for the whole morning if we wanted to, but we got to get off. Great topics. It's been a great, great show. show. Great topic. Shane's been awesome having. Hope Appreciate you come back. It. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Haven, it's even great to have you. I hope you still come back, even though, you know. I love you, you, you I love you. I, I love you, too. So, But, uh, yeah, have a great weekend. Enjoy the, enjoy the games. Louisville tips off here at noon. Uh, tune in here at noon also for the Kentucky Heartbeat, guys. We will be back next week on the Weekend Sports Bus. <laughs>